0: Gigi, what on earth are you drinking?
1: What is that? (laughs) It's it's my attempt at being healthy. You know when someone gives you a Christmas present? Um, In this case, it was a a blender because you you mean well and then you don't take it out of the cupboard. It's been in the cupboard for a couple of years. When I was at the tennis in New York, they have juice bars everywhere. And so every morning I had a juice and I was like, I'm feeling really healthy, I'm going to stick to this. So I took it out of its almost Christmas paper today and I chopped up a few things, and it came out brown and very sludgy. brown, very brown.
0: <laughs> it's not just kind of you know a little bit, little bit off. It is completely it's, mud
1: color. I you know it looks it looks very wrong. It tastes it tastes okay. I think I know what I did wrong. I think I I put cooked beetroot in instead of raw, and I think this is the problem. Why has that sent it brown? Well, I think it wasn't just beetroot in there. I think I just, maybe things were out of date in the fridge. I'm not sure. I just opened the vegetable moldy. drawer. <laughs> I, it's good for you, Mould. Um, I emptied the vegetable drawer, tipped it in, pressed the button. And I thought, as I've actually gone through with this, I have to drink it. So if I go silent at any point during the podcast, I'm probably, I'm at, you know what? I'm going to put it to one side. I just don't want to look at it right now. <laughs> anyway, how are you? I've been making vegetable juice. Oh, and the beds still haven't collapsed. Oh, there good. A lot of There was a lot of doubt when I said there were no bits left over. A lot of people doubting that. But the beds are still in one piece. Have they been thoroughly tested? Have they been jumping around on them and really t- yep, doing their best around. to break it as they probably do most things? I was a little nervous at first, but I think we shouldn't encourage too much jumping, but a little bit of jumping just to test it out. And I had no bits left over. So the beds are in, in one piece. So that's, that's a good sign. What have you been up to? Because I haven't been able to get hold of you for a bit.
0: Well, I've had a very busy weekend. You've had a very busy weekend and so have I. So that's probably why we haven't communicated very much. But <laughs> I've just been playing loads of tennis. Uh, we had our club championship finals day on Saturday. Which was good. It was fun. It was successful for me. I won uh, the couple of events I was in. Won the ladies doubles with my partner, Anjali. And won the mixed doubles uh, with my partner, Congratulations. Furgus. Yes, we played what was your... epic mixed doubles. 10-8. Oh, no, 11-9 in the final set tiebreak. It was great. It was on the grass court. The whole club was watching. It was amazing. And the, fir- the very first point, it was, my favourite point was the very first point because I was returning on the juice side. And um, the, the guy who's you know one of the best doubles players that we've got Uh, who was serving to me, he kicked it into my backhand and I I just ripped a backhand cross-court winner. (laughs) It was my best shot of the match on the first point. And the crowd were just loving it, that he'd just been absolutely done. Because, you know, there's just that bit of ego thing in mixed doubles, isn't there? When the man gets kind of (laughs) done by the woman, it's just hilarious for everyone. And yes, everybody was was really pleased with it. But I was really annoyed with myself because I felt that I showed my colours too early. and, And then he didn't hit another one to my backhand, which was my best shot. So... That was a bit stupid, really. It didn't go downhill from there because you won. So you kept that level. Yeah, it was very tight. I, no, I didn't hit a better shot. I, that was my best shot. And then my partner's best shot was at nine or in the third set breaker. So uh, we, we top and tailed it quite, quite nicely. <laughs> uh, but so that was good. Really good day. Very busy. Lots of tennis, nice barbecue and drinks. We stayed late. You know, it, it
1: turns into a nice social event. Do you win a trophy? Because we were asking listeners of tennis to send in questions Um, that we were going to try and answer. And we had a question from Farns saying, it's a bit silly. Uh, This is what Farns has said. It's a bit silly, but I've been wondering about trophies and what players do with them. Are you expected to lug the trophy home or will the tournament post it for you? And how about tournaments where you win something big like a car? And remember, Roger Federer in Basel generally wins a cow. Yeah, of course. I thought you were calling Farns silly and I was thinking, all right. There's no need no, to abuse no, our was, listeners. <laughs> that was that was part of the... T- I feel like I need to post that now. That was that was part of the tweet.
0: It's not silly, actually. Um, it, it, it depends on the level. I think, you know, if you if you win the French Open, I think they'll probably get uh, the trophy too. But you don't take home the big trophy. You get a little replica. You don't... It doesn't leave. You don't get to take it anyway. You might get to take it on a little tour or a sort of presentation thing, but as in you cannot take it home. You get a mini replica. I'm not sure... I think, I, I think the Venus Rosewater dish at Wimbledon is a tenth of the size, the replica that you get. But the lower tournament, so when I've won my trophies, because I haven't won a slam, yeah, you just take them home. You just take them home. I had big issues. I remember returning from India with a massive trophy. They weren't pleased. They thought it was a weapon. <laughs> um, and the argument that it could be used as a weapon is pretty strong. It was very heavy. I mean, the base was marble. I absolutely could have killed somebody with it. So I was, you know... Yeah, so it's slightly difficult. I I once did a trip to France where I played three tournaments and these were junior tournaments. And they do tend to go all out on the trophies with junior tournaments because we spoke about this before that you can't get any prize money, so they like to go big on the prizes. So you get big trophies. And I played three tournaments in a row in the south of France and I picked up trophies in singles and doubles of all three. So I had six. Uh, It was a great, great few weeks. One of them was, it was assembled. So you had the base with a long... Metal rod coming out the top end, basically all of the parts screwed on, almost like nuts and bolts. So, what I did was I, I took it all apart. And then and then thought, oh, I'll reassemble it at the other end when I get home. And so now they're, they're in my parents' house. 100% they are not in the right
1: order, the bits from <laughs> these you have, two trophies. <laughs> did you have bits left over, like the beds where I didn't have any bits? Yes. Did you have a spare bit? <laughs> yes, I had plenty of spare bits and they didn't all fit.
0: And the cup is the, the cup bit, which I imagine was supposed to be on the top, is somewhere down, it's <laughs> lower down. Uh, and they're very wonky and lopsided. So I wouldn't
1: recommend that. But it was the only way to get them home. It's you see you sometimes see really, really very strange style trophies and you're thinking what are they doing? Are they taking those through customs? And last year, the point about sometimes you you win a car, etc. I think last year in Tokyo, um, David Goffin it, it was brilliant. He'd won the tournament, and then there was a procession of gifts. They started with a bunch of flowers, and that's lovely and easily dealt with. And then there was there was a lovely watch, and that's also easy to pack away. Then there was the check, which was marvellous. Um, then there was the trophy, and then there were four hundred bottles of wine. It was given to him <laughs> in in a in a bottle of wine that was larger than David Goffin, so he could hold it to show off the name of the wine, etc. Four hundred bottles of wine. So first I'm thinking, I can't imagine David Goffin drinks that much. But secondly what on earth? I mean, surely in that instance, they've got to post it somewhere. They're not going to say to him as he leaves, you know, you go to the tournament director's office to maybe collect your winnings and bits and pieces, that he's going to have to stick 400 crates or 400 bottles of wine in a courtesy car. Because you do, depending where you are, there are, there are some, it's not just the trophy, is it? Sometimes there are add-ons.
0: Yeah, um, but I think that a lot of people would, would potentially give that stuff away. I imagine that, that, that David would have given away some of those bottles of wine. I mean, maybe he didn't. Maybe he took them all home. I don't know. But, you know, you could, you know, hand. there's probably about 400 volunteers. They all get a bottle of wine each. It'd be
1: nice. Yeah, maybe he had a really good off-season. I, I have to say that one of the best trophies for me is at a tournament that I was working on this weekend when... I was watching an awful lot of tennis and it's the Davis Cup because if you win the Davis Cup, each member of the team gets a mini replica of the Davis mm. Cup. And there's, there's a fair few bases with all the names of the winners with the, the, the trophy at the very, very top. I think that's really impressive when they all get their little replicas. And I was watching Croatia, working on Croatia against USA. I now, know my, <laughs> we thought the drama was over. We thought you were going to have a rest, didn't we? Oh, we have a nice, easy weekend. We thought it was going to be straightforward because initially it was about France and Spain. And then, unfortunately for Spain, Rafa Nadal had to pull out. Croatia, heavy favourites. There was no John Isner waiting for the birth of baby Isner, no Jack Sock with a hip injury. Croatia had never lost to the USA. It was just going to be very straightforward. And after the Friday, it was they'd won the six sets Croatia, Borna Cioric, Marin Cilic won. Going to doubles on the Saturday, nearly five hours, USA came out on top. I was working with Barry Cowan and we thought Sunday should still be straightforward and in Croatia's favour. Marin Cilic, whether he plays Steve Johnson or as it turned out to be Sam Quarry, he had never lost against either of them. Very straightforward. That should get the job done. He lost to Sam Quarry and then we had... Four hours of Bonnaroo, Francis Tiff I mean, it was, it was absolutely incredible. I mean, the, mm. the the crowd in Zadar in Croatia, the tennis, the level of tennis, it was unbelievable. Who would have thought though that tie would end up? It, you know it was 10 minutes away from being called off because there's no floodlights. They hadn't exp- it was a temporary stadium. Oh, wow. by the beach, and it was all the Croatian journalists we were hearing were saying, "Well, hang on a second, we've got to be, because the double's finished in almost darkness." Ivan Dodig said couldn't see anything. They were around 10, 15 minutes away from having to say, "I'm afraid, <laughs> we're going to have to come back tomorrow because there is no light left and there's no floodlights." Wow. Can you imagine? <laughs> imagine if that happened that is that is that is crazy
0: I mean it was an amazing weekend wasn't it it was um because when you get these Davis Cup weekends there are so many ties happening all over the world and like you're saying you kind of pick out the ones that you're going to pay attention to like oh that could be quite tight and uh I I just have to say I just didn't expect uh, the, the USA Croatia one to be as tight as it was I thought that was probably one of the more straightforward ones but uh what a weekend. Yeah. Unbelievable. So Oh and will... also Yes. I'm oh, sorry. Sorry to interrupt because we were talking about the trophies. Yes. Bit of behind the scenes gossip. Do you know how many Davis Cup trophies there are? No. Oh.
1: The big one. You know oh, the, the big, on. big, big one, the one that's bigger than everybody. This could be similar to the Premier League trophy in football. Mm. Because when they get to the final day of the season, if there's a couple of possibilities, you're suddenly like, How can there be one in Manchester and one in London, so it has like a body double. But this I... is, but this thing is huge. I think it's like it's like
0: five feet wide. It's enormous, as well as five feet tall. It is absolutely. It would take up basically half of my living room. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so they have the entire thing, and there, there are three of them there are three um, of them led to believe yeah there are three of them and you know how i know that because i went to roehampton and when we won the davis cup when britain won the davis cup a few years ago we had the davis cup at the national tennis center right out in rep- in reception um taking pride of place it looked awesome everybody could get a photo opportunity with it. it was in a big big box six foot by six foot you could get in the box you could stand there happily and you'd be you'd be fine it is just huge and i had a meeting at the itf which is just next door. It's the Bank of England. It, it, you just walk there. When I, and I turned up to the ITF and I walked in. <laughs> There's another massive Davis <laughs> Cup in front of me. Because obviously the ITF run the Davis Cup. It's their tournament. And I was just really confused. Uh, and then I was told that there are three. I couldn't remember where they said the third one was. But then it's the whole kind of, which one's the real one? Who knows? Uh, so apparently the one that they have at the final is always the real one it, they have to be awarded the real one and the other two are are replicas that are used for presentation purposes
1: that's how it works with the Davis cup i don't know about other trophies but there you go so the real one will be in france because france will be hosting yes. croatia at the end of november now i mentioned last week that we're going to be hearing from and we've got a special guest on the podcast this week but before we get to that just thought I'm going to squeeze in another question. It's from Lou on Twitter, who said, do players ever loathe their sponsored kit? I can think of a few (laughs) (laughs) god-awful offerings for top men and women in the world. And Lou says, my inner toddler would have had a weepy meltdown if I'd had to take to court in some of those.
0: I love it, Lou. That's a great question. And of course, they don't get a choice. I mean, you get... I mean, so for the women, with each sponsor, there'll be a dress range. There'll be two top and skirt ranges and a pair of shorts that you could interchange with the skirt. That, that's basically it. And if they go with a theme like some have, and it's not great, I'm my mind is flashing back to the zebra year. <laughs> You've got to wear it. You can't. Everything had zebra on it. There was no other option. The shorts, the skirt, the T-shirts, the dress. There was. It was just, if you didn't like zebra, you weren't going to be wearing anything. I have known players to go to their sponsor and... Kick off a bit of a fuss, and then they can end up wearing the last season's. So you know how it comes in little blocks. So you wear the French Open kit, then you wear the Wimbledon kit. Obviously, you can't do it at Wimbledon. I mean, white's white; it's not really that dramatic. But uh, it happens at the other tournaments where, say, they've been wearing the Australian Open kind of or the American Hardcourt season kit for Indian Wells, and Miami, and then they get the French Open or the clay season stuff, which was the zebra stuff, and everyone thinks, "Ugh." You can kind of just speak to them and stay in the kit. They're not happy about it because they want you to try and sell it, right? That's what they're But does that for.
1: also come down to your ranking? And I mean, some players at the very top oh, yeah. can, will be involved in the design and they'll have their own kit. But in terms of if you're going to go knock on the door of the headquarters and say, I don't want to be a zebra, um, I'm guessing that ranking wise, if you're one of the lowest ranked players as a zebra, you stay a zebra. But maybe if you're higher up, you have a chance of not being a zebra.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think uh, I I yeah, I, I, you you've got to be pretty good I think to be able to say like I'm not wearing this. I'm wearing last I'm wearing last season's kit or something plain or they they do tend to I think they do tend to try and have a plain offering you know like a t-shirt and, and skirt or whatever that you could you could wear and they, they wouldn't be too fussed about i remember with my sponsor one year it was in australia and they just it was one of the years which was really hot it wasn't the super duper hot year uh but it was very very close and um it was double it was double layered it was basically two tops sewed together and it was all the way up to the neck as well and it was just the hottest thing you could (laughs) ever imagine playing and the skirt was double layered because what they'd done is they'd put holes in the top layer and then so that the color from the second one would come through very nice that's great but it's 45 degrees and you've got to be kidding me I I wanted to take a pair of scissors and like chop the the top layer off (laughs) unfortunately at my My level, I had no choice. Um, So I had to wear it. But uh, a lot of the players kicked off and and did say, I don't think this is appropriate for Australia.
1: And Lou, we want to hear from you, which mention that you can think of a few let us know which ones you particularly i mean the zebra has been put out there by naomi but let us know of a few of the ones you were thinking about we we have got a few more questions to get to but we also want to hear from our special guest spoke to him in new york during the tennis at flushing meadows and he was involved in a very important event leading up to the start of the us open but before we got stuck into that he had a message for naomi
2: Naomi, hi, it's Nick McCarvel, and we are missing you here in New York, especially because it's so humid. We, Gigi and I, can't handle the humidity. We need a good training session from you to figure out how do we survive, and I live here, the New York community. I still haven't figured it out.
1: I was wondering when you started that, <laughs> why did we miss her? Because it's humid, but, but you're right. She's a, an athlete. She's dealt with these kind of conditions before.
2: Yeah, I, I would like to consider myself an athlete, Gigi, but I'm not, let's be honest, and I wilt... <laughs> We walk outside. and It feels like a, a hair dryer hits you, and I just start immediately sweating. And then it gets worse as I wait for the subway on the platform. It's all downhill That's from there. That's why you
1: should take the bus <laughs> and not the train and the subway that we've talked about.
2: We have. This has been a great debate. I've been trying to get Gigi to ride the Long Island Railroad. It takes 15 minutes. How long did your bus ride take today? 20. 20, and that was a miracle it was amazing (laughs) just got on had my
1: breakfast got off I want to do a proper introduction as Nick said it's Nick McCarver Nick is Nick is a very good friend and also and I might miss something out and I might get it in the wrong order so just correct it writer reporter commentator compare event host social media guru
2: I, you, I think you nailed all of it I'm glad you got guru in, in there somewhere I was waiting for that to be used. Well you're,
1: you're my social media guru because it is Nick that's taught me everything not everything there is to know I think there's still a few more things about Instagram um, I still find it a place of mystery and I still get comments from you saying what have you done, <laughs> and why don't you do this but I th- am I improving?
2: You are improving, baby <laughs> steps I think we're in the 300 level class but there's a few more classes to go
1: I feel, there's a, I feel there's a
2: way more few classes to go. We're talking about Instagram stories. We're talking about promotion. It's hard to self-promote, right? Especially for a project like you guys doing this tennis, which is awesome, by the way. It's weird to try and say to other people, look at my stuff. This is cool.
1: Yeah, I, it's, it's not that's the most awkward. comfortable thing to do, to say, hey, is this great? And everyone's like, no, and you're like, okay.
2: <laughs> I find
1: that quite weird. <laughs> we are sat outside in the humidity by the media restaurant. Now, you're doing something at the US Open slightly different than you did, because last year, you were in charge of Grandstand. Anything that happened on Grandstand, that was yours.
2: Yeah, I was the encore presenter there, the host. I brought the players on, did bios, then we did post-match interviews for the World Feed. A few other little iterations to the job, but that's in a nutshell this year I've switched gears I've been up in the commentary booths near your booth we never really see each other and you get
1: free food and we don't so that's something oh, and you really? haven't brought me any you free have,
2: food you haven't asked
1: well, I just thought you might appear with a <laughs> I basket didn't know of you didn't get free food it, it why seems didn't you that, tell me this well it seems that every booth up there gets just a Did m- you could get be free
2: re- food at Wimbledon
1: I don't get free food anywhere I don't think. <laughs> we this got is free
2: food in is, Paris. This
1: is the snacks. No these are the snack baskets you have yeah. you have a snack basket in your commentary box. Uh, we have a box.
2: great snack basket. Don't say
1: things like that. We have we have nothing. Someone bought me Why a couple of chocolate you told nuts me this? and it's that day was it. Nine.
2: I know. 8 well, days I could have been bringing you sour patch kids, granola bars water bottles.
1: We've still got a few days. You can make up for <laughs> okay, lost time. But that's Don't something leave. I realized that there was, as I walked past the commentary boxes, including yours, I saw all these sort of snacks and sweets. And when you're, <laughs> you're working on the night session, normally I'm working for the BBC, there's just one of us left to do the night session. And It's getting to sort of midnight, and you're hungry and you want to snack. And it's very healthy. We have water, but we don't have. Nick Lester's come into the commentary box, and he's been sort of eating chocolate and sweets. I'm thinking, where is this? I didn't realize there was just a (laughs) feast of stuff in all these boxes.
2: (laughs) First of all, let me point out to all of you listening that this is a total first world problem, but a relatable one because you need snacks. Snacks are imperative in life, no matter if you're late night commentating on the BBC. Or if you're just working from home. When I work from home, I'm just... Every excuse I can get to leave my desk from an article I'm working on, usually it's snacks. So we'll what's get you your, some snacks. What's your go-to snack? Go-to snack? Probably something with hummus, like a cracker with hummus, maybe veggies with hummus. Oh, that's
1: quite healthy. Yeah, is that okay? No, no, it's But then great. I
2: really like candy too. <laughs>
1: Which is why here is dangerous. And there's, there's, a, there's a lovely guy who works here called Victor. And Victor technically oversees all the boxes and keeps thinking. So I pulled Victor to one side the other day and I said, Victor, I've got a problem. And he said, you know, is it, is it sound? Is it vision? Is it? I said, no, Victor, we haven't got any snacks. And I don't understand. And he said, well, some of the companies have, have paid to have or they have runners who, who bring the snacks in. He said, it, 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 I'm sorry, but there's, there's no snacks for, for you guys. And I, said, I said, Victor, please help. <laughs> I think he need some snacks. So Victor went off on a covert mission wow went into about four boxes took a sample of bits and pieces from each and came and delivered this you're going to get in wonder- trouble <laughs> <laughs> this, this wonderful array of snacks and then the next day victor came back with some chocolate nuts and chocolate raisins and he said this is you know this is going to help you so thank you to victor who has just helped us with the snacks that's
2: that is my weakness though those chocolate nuts and the chocolate covered raisins have you had those before chocolate
1: raisins are amazing they're so good not the nuts but the raisins, the chocolate raisins. Have you you ever had
2: yogurt covered raisins?
1: Don't like them as much.
2: (laughs) Wow, that was very decisive. (laughs) You didn't hesitate. (laughs) Gigi Salmon is not a fan of yogurt covered raisins. So when
1: we finish speaking, (laughs) Nick is going to be going to find me some chocolate covered raisins. Okay, I
2: will actually, because then that means I'll find some for myself too.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Victor, watch out. Nick and I are coming. Now, there's another reason I really wanted to speak to you. We, we chat. A lot of the time we work on a lot of tournaments together, but you did something and I was really sad I couldn't be here for it. You organized an event prior to the US Open, so tell me a little bit about the background and why you wanted to organize this event.
2: It's funny, I was actually thinking about sitting with you at Stockley Park for ATP Tennis Radio in May and telling you, Gigi, I'm going to do this event. And it actually happened.
1: <laughs> it's, it's it's amazing, and you were so passionate about it at the time. And you were talking about trying to get people involved because for an event like you're going to tell us about, it's very important to have someone that people can relate to, yeah. someone who people can say, "Okay, I, I see what this person is going through," etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And that I think at that time was your biggest challenge.
2: Yeah, no, it was a challenge. It was a challenge through and through. It was called Open Playbook, and um, it was talking about. LGBT players in tennis at the pro level. Um, And we had Brian Vahaley, who's a former top 80 player, an American who came out last year on the Sports Illustrated podcast. He uh, graciously agreed to be a part of it, as did Casey DeLacqua, who I think people will know her name as a Grand Slam winner and a doubles finalist at all four of the majors. Um, But Brian is currently the only former or present ATP player full stop publicly come out and there's uh, there's plenty who I'm sure are privately living a, a gay life but they haven't necessarily felt empowered to share that publicly and so I wanted to put together an event that really showcased the queer community's power in tennis because there's a big connection between the queer community and tennis and it doesn't need to just happen at the top level. We've had college players come out. We've had a lot of out lesbians in tennis. Billie Jean, Martina, Amelie, Renee Stubbs. There's so many women who have felt empowered to share who they are with the rest of the world. And that's been great for the WTA. It was awesome to hear Casey literally get up on stage and just kind of say, yeah, it was fine. Like Amanda and I have two kids and she's had a very public yeah not spat, but a very public back and forth with Margaret Court and Margaret Court's views. And it really, I felt like, was the opportunity to just have a conversation. What were the challenges? Why did you do it? Who are you as a person? What can the tour do to do to do better? And um, we weren't in any way asking players to come out from the event or for the event or because of the event. But it was this chance to move the needle forward, I think, for queer inclusion I'm a gay man, I work in tennis. There's a lot of gays and lesbians that work in this sport, and it's a great cross-section of the two cultures. And we got support from Kevin Anderson, we got support from John Isner, we got a, a, a great conversation conversation started with Roger Federer in Cincinnati. James Blake lent his support through a, um, Athlete Ally video. And so it was It was a really cool night. We had almost 200 people there, Gigi. Where was it held? It was held at Housing Works Bookstore, which is in Soho. I actually worked there as my first job in New York. <laughs> it was a weird full circle for me. I was actually way more emotional than I thought I was going to be. But it's uh, part of an AIDS nonprofit, so funds went to that. Also to the NYJTL, which does great work with underserved, underprivileged kids, um, youth tennis here in New York. So some of the funds went there. And the energy was awesome. We had tennis drag queens. They did a drag on the street video talking to people about women who have been out in tennis, which was fun to see. We had tennis trivia. We had themed drinks, martini lovas.
1: I loved the but sound of that. That's <laughs> great, right?
2: Too good. They were actually not martinis. That was too complicated to make, but it was called a martini navratilova. The name was good. Yeah. Um, and honestly, it was a chance to have a great, educated, involved, fun introspective discussion and I think it's just the start of that sort of thing from here
1: Were you taking questions from the people who were there?
2: Yeah so you actually can go and listen to it it's on the No Challenges remaining podcast I think it's number 211 but my chat with Casey and Brian was the first part of the program and then we did an open Q&A What
1: was what is the thing that keeps coming up time and time again what was it that the people there wanted to know?
2: I think people are still just wondering why there haven't been more out men full stop why there hasn't necessarily felt that, you know, because tennis is seen as so global, we travel the world, the tour goes everywhere, but, you know, I think that there's still this hesitation in the tour itself for men to feel necessarily comfortable. And I even got asked a question about, well, how do you feel as a gay journalist? And I hadn't really thought about, this process made me kind of think about that role, and which was interesting, so, that that came up a few times, and then, you know, just different things from people asking Brian what he felt when he was closeted, because he wasn't out when he was a pro at all, and then Casey made the point that she played her best tennis in her career in 2013, after she came Because
1: out. she felt relaxed, because she felt she was who she is, whereas I imagined before, it was keeping something tucked away. So instead of being able to free to play your game, there's something you're all, always trying to keep hidden.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would think so. She she made that point. I'm not going to put those words in her mouth. But um, yeah, it, it, it certainly felt that way. And it's cool that she could sort of feel empowered by it and not weighed down by it. I think that's the big thing, Gigi, is that... Whoever does choose to come out uh, on the ATP tour, when it does happen, they're going to feel weighed down by it. And they need to have the strength and resolve to feel as though they want to do it for themselves, not for any other reason. And by no means, again, are we asking someone to come out, but it's just a great chance to have the opportunity. And to say to any young kid that's playing tennis out there anywhere in the world or that wants to be a tennis journalist or wants to be a tournament director or whatever this sport includes you too.
1: I listened to an interview that Brian did with the BBC World Service, and one of the first things he said was when he came out, he received two to 3,000 really nasty emails. And you have to think, if you're a young guy or girl in the sport, in life, that's a pretty terrifying thought to think that you could have. And I know in terms of professional tennis, they've got the profile. But that's pretty terrifying.
2: Yeah, I think it's funny too because you hear a lot of these coming out stories from athletes, from public figures, and they say, oh, the support was only positive. But Brian got a lot of negativity, a lot of vitriol, emails, and uh, he's been, Brian Vahaley has been a trailblazer, and there's been plenty of people who have said, well, how can you be a trailblazer? You're coming out 10 years after you retired from pro tennis. No one has done what he's doing right now, and that is the definition of a trailblazer. And the fact that he's faced that with his family and his little kids, I think, is incredible. And again, it shows that you do have to have that resolve to be able to face something like that. Now,
1: Naomi wanted to be involved, but obviously she's back in the UK, so couldn't be. But she sent through some questions. (laughs) Okay, here we go. These are just a few things she wanted to ask. The first thing, Naomi, a former player on the WTA Tour, she said, why is it more accepted in women's sport and in women's tennis what does it seem to be more accepted do you think I
2: think it's uh, there's a few different prongs to it I think Casey brought it up so well that a lot of the women just don't everyone's doing their own thing Casey kind of had a laugh line in the night because she said everyone's just worried about themselves and it was kind of seen as like a selfish uh, reaction to the question but I think everyone has just kind of moved on. I mean, we saw when Amelie came out in the late 90s, she was kind of forced out, and then there was Martina Hingis saying she plays like a man, which obviously didn't go over well. But we're 20 years removed from that almost. And I think now the WTA is, you know, there's been plenty of out lesbians, Allison Van Utfank, Rachel Hogankamp. They're these players who are just choosing to live out loud, but not necessarily having to shout from a megaphone, which is what Billie Jean and Martina had to do for so long and faced so much backlash. And I think the way that they were able to help move the sport forward, especially the WTA, I think that's been... That has transcended now, and that's why it's easier for the So women. they
1: had those role models?
2: I think so, yeah. And also I just think... For whatever reason, the general machismo or, you know, the the straight factor of the locker room. Listen, I, I'm not a part of the locker room. That's not a part of my job description. I'm not a coach. I'm not a trainer. I'm not a physio. I'm not a player. So I don't know that culture. But, you know, Brian spoke at length about the feeling of not necessarily wanting to be not necessarily not wanting to come out, but n- that's just that little outcast, that reason for you not to be part of that joke or part of that story or part of that feeling of, I am you. And that's a challenge. And I think that it'll take more time for that to happen in men's tennis.
1: And uh, Naomi went on to say, um, <laughs> he said, I'm a, I'm a huge supporter and I find it frustrating that no active male players are out. I get wound up when the media keeps asking Alison Van Oetvank about it, but I also don't really... Uh, I don't really do anything as I wouldn't know what to do and I think that maybe is the same case for a lot of people.
2: Yeah, it's funny, I was actually listening, um, you know, there's been a lot of reaction to this event and especially after Roger was asked about it by a different podcast The Body Serve in Cincinnati um, a couple gay guys that live in Toronto who took it upon themselves to ask Roger and Kevin Anderson about the issue and um you know, bringing Roger into the discussion was interesting because he gave such a great answer, but it was also an answer you could tell that he hadn't really thought about that much before, which is both awesome, but also a little bit like wait, this should be a part of the lexicon of the ATP World Tour and James Blake making the suggestion in his Ally video that perhaps it should be part of the ATP University, and you know listen, there's powers that be that need to decide that, but um uh, there there was a discussion had about you know, why isn't there or you know Roger, h- how can you help make people more comfortable? Well, I as a journalist have taken upon myself just to start this conversation and I, it would have been it would have been very small if it hadn't have been for people like Brian and Casey and James and the other and Kevin Anderson who have lent their voices to it, but it's a first step, Gigi. and you have to take the first step and I think, I think, I believe, Naomi, that we've (laughs) taken the first step and I would love for her to be a part of what we're going to do in the future because I think this is the first iteration. Well, that
1: was her her follow-up and her last. At first, Naomi said, just let me think, and then the questions didn't stop. But she (laughs) goes on to say, what can we do to help drive acceptance forward?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think just living your everyday life as someone who's accepting and... Uh, An ally. I think that word sometimes gets lost in meaning, but here's a chance to... And it's funny, too. Like, when I spoke to you about it in May, it's... You're not sure how to present it to colleagues because you don't want to overstep... You don't want people to feel uncomfortable with something that you're trying to do in a professional setting that's also personal. But also, you want to... The idea is to move things forward. And that's... That can be bristly, right? That can be prickly. And so... I, there are going to be more things in the future, there's going to be opportunities for Naomi to be a part of it, and we're going to do some stuff online, which I'm really excited about, watch this space, and then we're hoping to work on a 2.0, I'm not exactly sure when and where but the wheels are in motion.
1: And you've got the support from people. You mentioned Kevin Anderson, Roger Federer's been talking about it. You're getting people that can make a difference within the sport talking about it. That's important. And and even for me being here, there's been a buzz about it. A number of people that have spoken to me about it or have mentioned it or wanted to do pieces with you or Brian about it. That That's fantastic because you did the event because your you're very passionate about it, but it's wonderful that it's got other people talking about it.
2: Yeah, and, I, you know, Brian's made the point that he feels like the top stars. Roger spoke now about it now kevin anderson john tweeted his support andy murray i think has spoken in the past about the margaret court issue um laura robson's been outspoken madison keys you know there's a lot of players they are a big piece of it and brian sort of maintained that we need those voices in the sport james blake has been great um the video testimonial that he did i'm putting it online actually which will be really cool to see but i also think that you've got you've to put your hand up as a little guy and a little girl and say, hey, we have voices too. And this is, I mean, just having this conversation, it might be uncomfortable for someone to listen to. And maybe, they're, maybe you disagree with me, which is totally fine. That's your opinion. But here's a chance for tennis to tell the world that it's an open and accepting place. And let's make it that. And the fact that we are even having this discussion wouldn't have happened if I hadn't decided just to put together this little event that we were hoping were our goal was 100 people Gigi we wanted to reach triple digits we almost had twice as many there and the reaction has been really really great it's
1: amazing thank you for talking to us about it we are going to watch this space to see what's next and I think it's time to go and raid some commentary boxes for <laughs> <Yeah>. snacks
2: <laughs> from one important issue to chocolate covered raisins and if you want to tweet your support or use your support whatsoever online just use hashtag LGBT tennis. LGBT tennis. we've taken out the second t LGBT tennis, easy it's very easy even for me <laughs> on social media that's easy right Nate McCarver it's been a pleasure thank you it's off to the chocolate raisins we go thanks Gigi. <laughs>
1: And the first thing I should say is that Nick did manage to raid some of the snacks and bring some to my commentary box. So thank you very much to Nick McCullough for that. But also thank you for talking about the event. It was a huge success. And I I have to say a lot of people, as I mentioned there with Nick, a lot of people were talking about it during the tournament. What are your thoughts from, oh, and thank you for your questions. What are your thoughts from from listening to Nick there? Well, my initial thought is
0: you've got to get over not being given free snacks. <laughs> <laughs> You're so entitled. <laughs> well, just because other booths have free snacks, there you are demanding it. Back to the more important bits. Yeah, it's so fascinating. Amazing what uh, what he's been doing. I'm really glad the event went well. And it's just so interesting to hear hear the thoughts on it. I really loved when he was saying about Casey Delacqua, saying that, that the reason that it's just more accepting in the, the women's side of, of things rather than the men's side of things is that we kind of just always do our own thing. And it's something that I've been talking about a lot in terms of coaching and in terms of structuring academies and that female players don't tend to like to train together that much because we don't have to you know you can hit with um you find a guy ranked a thousand, it's great. You know, he doesn't even have to be ranked a thousand. You know, they can, you can stick him in one corner and have a great practice session. I mean, Maria Sharapova went the vast majority of her career with barely speaking to anyone, you know, or communicating or practicing. So we don't really need each other. And I thought that was really interesting. I've never thought about it actually affecting the fact that people in quite a selfish way just don't care what anyone else is doing because we all just do our own thing. Whereas the guys train a lot more together they communicate a lot better they get on much better because they need each other they need to play practice sets they need to to be on court with each other i found that really fascinating point actually i'd never it's something that i talk about a lot but i'd never kind of
1: put it in that sort of context did you ever notice and i spoke to marian bartley about this and not to give names or specific examples but did you ever notice incidents in changing rooms or tournaments when someone was made to feel bad because of their sexuality. Because Marion Bartley said there were instances when she saw people move away from a certain person or, or certain instances. She said it really wasn't nice to see.
0: I, yeah, I think there are comments. There are comments a lot from ignorant people. I think that that will just be there for quite quite a while really I, I just think that you know it depends on people's upbringing and what they've been around what they've been exposed to where they're from in in countries you know I'm you know what I was trying to get across in my questions to Nick is how you know I'm lucky I in that I I've been brought up in London in and around all sorts of different people you know with a family that just you know just think that you know whatever you want to be is whatever you want to be and everything is normal and everyone should just live their best lives and be their best selves the language that people use you know sometimes I find it quite shocking as I say I'm I live in my little bubble where you know everything's accepted and I think that that's kind of how it is but then obviously what Nick was saying and you know, and, and the people that you've spoken to, and like you say, with Marion Bartoli, that, that's just not how it is. And I do hear a lot of comments, uh, a lot of negative comments, um, you know, or just people referring to somebody in a rude way or a derogatory way. It's just so unnecessary, really.
1: And it's difficult. They're focusing on the ATP in the sense that there is no openly gay player currently playing on the ATP tour. It's, I imagine it's very difficult because it's a very public stage. Everything's being played out on and it will be a very brave thing for the first person to do that. They will get a lot of attention.
0: They will. I don't even really see the need to know about whether somebody's gay or not. I just, you know, it just seems like a private issue. People can do what they want. Right. But but yeah, I mean, can you imagine the first tennis player to, to come out as gay? I think it'd be amazing. I mean, look, I'm not saying it would be easy. Of, I I couldn't imagine how difficult it would be. I really, I couldn't. I'm sure, you know, Nick was shedding a bit of light on that. But I I hope that we'll get there. I hope that it's not too far away because I think people would say that. I don't think we're saying like we know that there are. We know certain players are gay and they're not coming out about it. But I just, you know, just statistically, there will be some players who who are and obviously not being open about it right now. So um, it'd be nice that if, if they felt
1: that they could, but then equally they don't have to. It's their choice. Well, I right? think that's exactly what Nick was saying, that we're not asking for someone to come out, but we're just saying we're here and there is that support network. And I think that event, as I say, there were loads of people talking about at Flushing Meadows, there were people coming up to Nick wanting to do other events or build from it and take it forward. He mentioned the support he had from players on the tour, like Kevin Anderson, was really vocal. Bought tickets, the event wasn't able to go, and he, as Nick said, there was want over two hundred people there. So it's and the feedback he continues to get is really positive, and and as he said there, just watch this space. And just a reminder that if people would like to listen again to the event or listen for the first time, they go on the the NCR podcast with Ben and Courtney. I think, did Nick say it's episode 211 or something like that? Yeah. You can have a listen to the event. It's well worth doing that. And if you give Nick a follow on Twitter um, and Instagram, then you can just keep up to date with with any events and and bits and pieces he's doing. But a very important thing. And as Nick said, we we were together in the UK when he first talked about bringing the event together. So really happy for him. That it all came together. Yeah, oh, it's, it's been amazing,
0: and he and he's, he's amazing. And I, I also found it really interesting when he was saying that Federer was asked about the situation of you know people being gay on tour and why has nobody come out. And uh, it's interesting to hear that Federer probably hadn't really thought about it very much. And I think that's probably, like Nick was saying, that's where you've got to start, right? You've just got to get people talking about it and then people will feel more comfortable, um, I suppose, in coming forward in that way. But uh, yeah, I thought that was quite interesting because Federer is very well drilled, isn't he? On any sort of question or any topic, anything that, you know, whether it's kind of equal prize money or or scheduling or anything, he's got slick routine answers nailed down. He's so good with it. Um, So to hear that he really didn't, know where he just hadn't thought about
1: it I suppose shows how it's just not talked about absolutely and we'd love to get people who listen to the podcast we'd love to get your thoughts on what you heard during my little chat with Nick so do get in touch with us and we should say to um, Matthew and Mr Gibb a couple of great questions about one about junior tennis one about employing a coach and the cost of coaches and trainers and physio and I know Naomi you've got a lot to say on this subject <laughs> yeah you might want to just
0: ask me the questions and then just go and do something for an hour and, <laughs> and come back i <laughs> I'll be almost finished, but I mean, boy, junior tennis and uh, and how how the uh, the coaching and and team employment structure is uh, on the tour are are two hot topics for me at the moment
1: so next week's podcast is just naomi i will ask the
0: questions (laughs) (laughs) you'll open and close it i'll I'll just chat away to myself
1: and naomi's just going to talk so matthew and mr Gibb, we are going to get to those questions next week so listening for that again it's it's really nice to hear from everybody so any thoughts on what you've heard today any more questions for future podcasts then do get in touch with us and i think well I've got to try and drink this drink, which I'm actually starting to feel a little bit queasy. So I'm not sure. Probably this drink. I mean, It looks it. like it could kill you. It's... That is <laughs> just... That's just sludge. Which, which could be another reason why I'm not on the podcast next week. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: I'm, I, I can take it. It's, it's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll just do it. You, you've that's got fine. the you question carry on drinking your sludge. Isn't it supposed to make you feel better though? It is. Are you sure I, there's vegetables in there? Did you put anything green in there?
1: Spinach. Uh, it should be less... Mud colour. I mean, it's I've never seen it. I mean, if you went into a juice bar and no, this,
0: you're not. No, nothing comes out like that. <laughs> I don't care what you put and, in. Nothing and, comes out like
1: that. And this was given to you. You say you say no. I mean, you say I'll have something else because this is a really I mean, this is what happens when you do it at home, isn't it? This is why this has stayed in the box for two years. That's basically the reason that has not been touched. So I'm gonna go and work on that. And and you've gotta go and work on Sven, I believe. Oh I do, yes. He's got some he's got some
0: training. Training today. <laughs> Anything to make him less annoying is what we're working
1: on at the moment. Okay, so you're gonna make Sven less annoying. I'm gonna yeah. get oh, I'm I'm, no I'm gonna try. You're gonna try and make Sven less annoying and I'm gonna try and, and drink this and if all goes well, we will be back together next week talking cost of coaching and junior players
0: yeah I think there's a strong chance I'll be back
1: I think there's about 50% chance you'll make it but (laughs) fingers crossed thanks for the positive send off